Welcome back, dreamers. It looks like you made it through the last sleep till Christmas, and hopefully no spirits came to show you the error of your ways. I'm your host, Maddie Limerick, and this is the Dole Whip and Dreams podcast, where each episode I take a deep dive into the Disney Bolt. It's our first Christmas together, so I must be joined by the pure embodiment of Christmas herself, Broadway superstar Bryn Williams. Now, before I get into the history of this movie, I just wanted to chat a little. The Muppets have a rich and fantastic history from television and film, and all of the history led up to the release of this movie. Now, Defunct Land TV on YouTube has the most gorgeous miniseries on the legacy uh, and television history of the Muppets and Jim Henson himself that led all the way up to this film. So whether it's before or after you listen to this, it's a must-see to fully appreciate the work that led to the creation of this film and the other Disney properties starring the Muppets after. Rarely in life are we lucky enough to have true visionaries like Jim Henson, who in his own right was inspired by the legacy of Walt Disney, even though they were creating content about the same time. And in 1990, the world was stunned as we lost the visionary that was Jim Henson. But the wheels had already begun to spin before over a partnership between Henson's company and the Walt Disney Company under the not-so-loving care of Michael Eisner. While this would be the fourth Muppet film to hit the silver screen, it would be the first in the partnership with Disney before Disney would outright own the property in 2004. And this film would be led by Henson's own son, Brian. Brian was quickly approached by the folks at Disney to create a Christmas project for the company after his dad's death, and it was originally sold to ABC as a television feature. But as many of you know, the Muppets are not strangers to made-for-TV Christmas specials. But soon after it was proposed to ABC, Walt Disney Pictures itself offered to buy the project for feature release. The movie would be a live-action adaptation of the 1984 novella by Charles Dickens under the same name that combined live-action actors with well-known Muppets. As soon as Brian was signed on, Muppet writer veteran Jerry Jewell was brought on to pin the script. Though the early versions would see human actors playing most of the roles, with classically loved Muppets portraying the ghosts as well as Dickens himself as an omnipresent narrator. But as the casting search began, the film began to shift so that most of the roles would be taken on by Muppets, with only a few humans in large roles, including Gonzo as Dickens playing the straight man to a whimsical assistant in Rizzo, who had recently received audience acclaim in the 1980s Muppets Take Manhattan. Several well-known actors went through the casting process to play Scrooge, including comedian George Carlin. It was decided that seasoned British actor Michael Caine would play the role. What worked beautifully about this was that Caine was quoted saying that he would treat this as if it was a Shakespearean role at the RSC and not Muppet it all up, which ultimately really pays off in the sincerity and truthfulness in this film. In addition to Kane, this film would see the return of Frank Oz, Dave Goles, Steve Whitmire, and several other really seasoned Muppet professionals. The film was shot quickly in England at Shepard Inn Studios. The team had many hurdles to overcome to get the right proportions and angles to have both humans and Muppets on screen in a way that they hadn't before. And while at times this was dangerous, leaving only small planks for Kane to walk on, it ultimately paid off. Now, Because this is the early 90s, it's not possible for studio head Jeffrey Katzenberg, deep enemy of the pod, to not come up in some way. Even though he was neck deep in prepping for the release of Aladdin, he would go on to shake up the content of this film, though at the end of the day, there was only really a single casualty on his hands. A gorgeous song titled When Love Is Gone was performed by the character Belle as she laments the loss of Scrooge's love for money. 
Even though there is an existing reprise of the song that seems slightly out of place in the movie, the full version never made it to theatrical release, much to the disappointment of Brian Henson himself. It can be heard during the credits of the film, and depending on which home video release of the movie you have, it's been placed back into certain versions. Now, if you head over to our website, dollwhipanddreamspod.com, and check out our blog on this movie, most of that info is going to be there. There were insanely high expectations for this film, since it was slated for the widest holiday release within the company and the second widest release of the year as well. It opened to a modest success of $27.3 million due to the fact that it opened the same day as Home Alone 2 and Aladdin. Yep, that's right. Disney opened two of its blockbuster releases in 1992 on the same day. As you'll learn in our upcoming Rescuers Down Under episode, this is not the first Disney film that went head-to-head with a Home Alone property and did not come out unscathed. But despite only having moderate box office success, this film lives on in the hearts of true fans, and in my journey, I found that this is the most loved adaptations of the Dickens novella. Now, Disney would go on to have moderate success with their other uses of the Muppets, but just as a lifetime fan, I think they can do better. You will now be visited by three spirits, but beware of hitchhiking ghosts. <laughs> we'll be right back after this. Welcome back, dreamers. It is Christmas Day. Merry Christmas, everyone. And I knew there was only one guest that I could have on the show with me today. She loves Christmas more than anyone else I know. And she's appeared on Broadway in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, 13 the Musical, Bye Bye Birdie, and SpongeBob SquarePants, just to name a few. And she was recently on the national tour of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory as Chewing Gum Loving by Violet Beauregard. Please help me welcome Bryn Williams. Bryn, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me and Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. So, which is funny because we're recording in November, but you know what? It's, I was just going to go along Christmas. with it, you know, suspension of disbelief, but. It, you know what? I was in uh, Magic Kingdom last night and it was Christmas everywhere and they were recording the Christmas parade. So to me, it's Christmas. It's just, of course. it's already Christmas. Um, so why don't you tell the audience just a little bit about yourself and what role kind of Disney has played in your life and also like why you love Christmas so much? Absolutely. Okay, so my parents were in the military and we moved around a bunch, but I always like to claim that I'm from Maryland just because it was where we were the longest. And um, Christmas was that time of year when, first of all, like everybody was in a good mood. And I think that's just kind of like across the board. Everybody is just happier around Christmas time. Even if you don't celebrate Christmas, it's just, Mm -hmm. it's that Mm -hmm. season of happiness. And so I always loved that. I love anything sparkly and shiny and colorful. And the sparkles come out at Christmas. They really, really do. Everything with lights. I suffer from shiny object syndrome. (laughs) (laughs) I, I completely, I accept that. You know, I admitting you have a problem is the first step to recovery but i'm not planning on recovering so (laughs) why 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 it's just so fabulous why bother recovering yes and with disney okay so my i was the oldest child i am the oldest child um my mom didn't let us listen to the radio 
because she didn't want us being children singing inappropriate songs. So what okay, we would, okay. what she would let us listen to was um, Broadway music and Disney. So all of my music, my entire repertoire and everything came from Disney movies. So for Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, um, my, my Chitty Chitty Bang Bang audition, I was 12 and I sang Christina Aguilera's rendition of Reflection from Mulan. For Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, which is so not even remotely in the vein of what the music of the show is. But like it's Disney has had a huge part of my life. That's amazing. Um, I just, yeah, I love that. And so for uh, yeah, out there, I, uh, Bren was in 13, the musical, which was a really, really fun show that was all teenagers cast and band. And um there were a couple, you know, a couple of their uh, uh, names in that show along with you that I think everybody might know now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I got the pleasure of working on that show for one of the producers doing merch and getting to watch you all kind of just wail every night was so cool <laughs> for me. Um, but also just kind of the joy that you all were able to bring to that. Um, and so it's been, you know, it's kind of been interesting to kind of follow your career uh, as as uh, we, you know, we've been friends on social media and whatnot. So, um yeah, and it became apparent that Bryn will start posting about Christmas on December 26th uh, <laughs> for the next year. Um, and so I, when when I was pitching the show to Bryn, I went, you know, we could do a Christmas movie. And she immediately went, Muppets Christmas Carol. Hands down, we have to. <laughs> and Muppets is a huge part of my life. Um, and so my dad always loved it. I remember seeing reruns of the Muppet show as a kid. Um and so I was so excited when you pitched this uh, movie. So what what about this movie resonates with you? Everything about this movie resonates with me. It's like it's it's all Christmassy and it's all happy. And so first of all, you take a classic Christmas story mm-hmm. like the Christmas Carol. And um, you add a great score to it and you put well-known mm-hmm. characters to it, which the Muppets have done with, um, I know they did Muppets Wizard of Oz and they also did Muppet Treasure Island, which is another one mm-hmm. of my favorites. If you haven't mm-hmm. seen it, Tim mm-hmm. Curry is phenomenal. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's just such a brilliant way of telling this story and it's such a fun one so you get all of the darkness of the original story Mm -hmm. but the lightness Mm -hmm. of the Muppets and everything that makes the Muppets great and what fascinates me the most about this is that this was and fact check me to make sure that I'm not wrong but this was the first movie that they did after Jim Henson passed away you are correct you are so it's directed by Brian Henson and this was the first movie that um Steve Whitmore Whitmire, mm-hmm. Whitmore, mm-hmm. um, voice Kermit, voice Kermit for, mm-hmm. and so it's it's great seeing you know after the the patriarch of the the Muppets mm-hmm. passes away, you know untimely, and they still have this magic, and I think mm-hmm. starting mm-hmm. with a Christmas with a Christmas classic is like just in the perfect spirit of everything that Jim Henson was about. And it it was just everything. The timing of it is, is just beautiful. (laughs) 
I, I will agree with you. The timing of this was perfect. Now, you know, um, the Muppet, before Jim passed away, he and Michael Eisner had started developing a relationship to get the Muppets at the amusement parks and get them in Disney MGM Studios, which is now Disney Hollywood Studios, which mm-hmm. would eventually happen. Um, though there was some concerns along the way, and so Muppet Vision 3D happened. And then the kind of relationship between Disney and Muppets crumbled quickly um but yeah this is um they pitched brian very quickly after his dad passed away um to do this movie and it was originally going to be uh on abc it was just going to be a a made for tv movie and then they turned in the script and disney went oh no this is going to be a feature film you guys we will buy it as a feature film um and something else i think is interesting originally the muppets were just going to play the ghosts and like tangential characters with all like you know regular human people as mm-hmm. the rest of the characters, and they started tweaking it and then adding you know Gonzo as Dickens and Rizzo as this kind of narrator with him, because mm-hmm. um, it's funny to think of Gonzo as the straight man and Rizzo as the funny guy, but uh, you know it just kind of <laughs> works so well. Yeah, there is so much to me. I mean, and I would argue that the Christmas Carol is the most adapted story that we have from like literature. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't think of any, I mean, uh, I can't think of anything else between theater, film, television, opera, ballet. I can't think of anything that's been adapted as much as the Christmas Carol. Right. And, um, I, th- I think you brought up a good point of this idea of that there is a darkness to Scrooge's journey that has to be there that I think they were still able to keep without sacrificing what makes Disney Disney mm-hmm. and what makes the Muppets the Muppets. Now, on paper, I can't think of any combination of a relationship that's better than Disney and the Muppets. Um, now, I mean, Disney now owns the Muppets. I guess own is the, you know, they it's part of the the lexicon of Disney now and we could question whether they're utilizing them in the best way now mm-hmm. but I think for this to be the first film that they did with Disney and it was the first film after Jim died that I think it just sets off in the best way that even though it didn't do amazing at the box office um because this opened the same day as Aladdin so like oh and yeah, that'll do it and Home Alone <laughs> 2. I can't, I don't remember that weekend. Like, I remember seeing Aladdin and I remember seeing this in movie theaters. But, like, the idea that, like, this Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, and Aladdin all open the same weekend is insane to That's me. That's crazy. See, I don't remember, I don't think I actually saw Muppet Christmas Carol in theaters or any of those movies in theaters because mm-hmm. I think I was, I was really young for it. Like, I'm trying to remember what year it came out. 92, 93, hold on, let me, I will tell us 100%. Um, but yeah, yeah. I so can't remember what year it came out, but I definitely didn't see it. 1992. Any... Oh, okay, yeah. 1992, yeah. yeah. I wasn't born yet. Yeah, I was um, about to say, <laughs> I didn't think you were born, darling. <laughs> I wasn't born yet. But it's so funny because all three of those movies are such huge staples in my mm-hmm, life mm-hmm, that I, I'm like, okay, I don't remember. I definitely didn't see them in theaters, but I remember them always being a thing. And I remember mm-hmm. even still today, every year on Christmas Eve, we watch Muppet Christmas Carol, also Home Alone too. but um, we watch 
this movie. It is such a huge, and and we all sing um, One More Sleep Till Christmas and Cry. (laughs) It is, there are so many parts of this movie that just make me happy. It is pure Mm -hmm. happiness and it's joy and it's excitement. I mean, even in, in, I actually was watching this movie before you called. Um, (laughs) It's, even in the very, very beginning, you know, when they're saying in, in loving memory of Jim Henson, mm-hmm. and it goes, do, 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 As you can see, I know the entire score. And then it goes, do, 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 do. And then it starts with the Christmas bells. And then the string section goes, do, 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 do. It is the perfect like i would argue one of the the most perfect score lead-ins in cinema it is just everything flows so beautifully and so Mm -hmm. melodically and it i watch it every single year it's 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 so perfect in so many ways that like normally i go you know there's always something that i you know i could come up with that i just don't I don't agree with something. I don't like something. I'd rehash. And I actually had a hard time coming up with some questions for us because normally the things I would ask, I can answer on my own and go, yeah, no, I have zero issues with this. I would change nothing. You know, they're just these, you know, it's that that's the little thing. But I went, you know, I don't know. No, no, I I don't think I change any of this. I think (laughs) it's just fine. Um, yeah, the score. Well, and I think the score is super important too because of the era we're setting it in. And just, we're also, at the end of the day, we are in the Disney Renaissance for animated films, which mm-hmm. is a really important time and it's an important growth period. And Disney would become uh, the monolith that it now is because of this era predominantly of animated film, but it also allowed this kind of film to happen because Jim passed in 91. And, um, I mean, just imagining that there was, this was pitched at the end of 91 beginning of 90, no 89. Oh God, I'm confusing on my dates now, but they just, how quickly between when he passed and when this movie actually came out is just fascinating to me. And also just the idea of combining, there's always been like the humans in the Muppet movies. Cause like before this, um, unlike a lot of Disney films, the Muppets had an established film universe, um, between the Muppet movie, great Muppet caper and Muppets take Manhattan. And so this was the first time that we were kind of deviating that into a certain way of utilizing the Muppets for this more literary point. And I don't know if anybody but Disney could have done this kind of work at that time. Right. Yeah, I mean, especially when, when you have the Disney budget behind you, you know, yes. wh- whatever Disney decides to throw at you, whether it's mm-hmm. it's a large sum or a small sum, like Disney knows how to use its resources and they know how to work with what they have. They most certainly do. And a lot of times I look and I go, wow, I didn't, you know, that doesn't seem like a huge budget to me. And then I go, really, honestly, everything is a huge budget to me anymore, honestly. <laughs> but, um you know, uh, uh, it's just it's it's so perfect in so many ways. And Michael Caine approaches this in kind of the best way as Ebenezer Scrooge, because he even said he's like, I'm not doing Muppety things. I'm not doing crazy, sticky things. I'm playing this as if it's a piece of Shakespeare. I'm treating this as a piece of theater. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why it's so successful. Absolutely. Um, 
Well, especially because, like, at one point, they had so, uh, so many other men that were talking about doing it, like George Carlin. Um, just the 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 group of people who could have been um, Scrooge to me is just baffling. Hold on, I'm, I'm pulling it up now to see to go back through that. Um, Oh, yeah, like, uh, I don't recognize... A lot of them are just, like, older actors who I recognize their face. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have George Carlin, who's the comedian. But I think Michael Caine is one of the standouts of this movie. Absolutely. He, he manages to never get upstaged by our fuzzy little friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and he handles it with such grace because they also said that, like, the sets are just these narrow flats that he got to walk on, like, narrow planks of wood mm-hmm. that he could walk on so that the Muppet characters could be up on either side of him. And even we get some of uh, new Muppets in this that we hadn't seen before, like um, um, uh, the Ghost of Christmas Present. Uh I love is, him. He makes me so happy. And how his like his his hair just like gradually turns gray all through the yeah. entire thing. And it's subtle. Yeah. It's subtle, subtle Muppet Disney magic that yep. just that just happens. But yeah, like you were saying with Michael Caine, he he really is the ultimate straight man in this. And it adds to the absurdity of the night. Yes. That where you have sort of the, the more subdued, for lack of a better term, normal Muppets. And then your first glimpse of crazy is um, the door knocker turning into Statler, mm-hmm. who is playing mm-hmm. Jacob or Robert Marley. I never yeah. knew... Yeah, which yeah, one either, was which yeah. but yeah. they're Jacob and Robert Marley and so that adds to uh, that's that very first glimpse of just mm-hmm. crazy and it lets you know that you're in for a wild night and then you have all of the singing chains and locks that, yeah. that they sing in which Marley is, and Marley which is just such it's such a Muppet thing it's elevating the fantasy of it because there's something really ridiculous about the Christmas Carol when you think about it. It's it's really kind of strangely improbable, but like it's it's this story that for some reason everybody keeps retelling and they found this way. Well one doing two Marley so that you could put both Statler and Waldorf in it was genius. Oh absolutely. Like, it's, just, it's a genius moment. And it also makes sense that that kind of business would actually be run by three men. Um and then Kermit as I can't imagine Kermit and Piggy not being the Cratchits like to me I oh, just can't for sure I think the only the only other thing that I could imagine Kermit being is um is in the Fezziwig position but mm-hmm. Kermit is the moral backbone of Muppets in general yeah. so it would it would only even though I don't really see Miss uh Miss Piggy as a as a Mrs. Cratchit per se she's so balanced out by Kermit and Kermit is that that hopeful optimistic dutiful doing what needs to be done um uh just he's that kind-hearted character that mm-hmm. no one but Kermit could have played Cratchit except for maybe like Skeeter 
Yeah. But yeah. other than Skeeter, like it, Skeeter would be like a beautiful understudy for, yeah. for Bob yeah, Cratchit. He would, he would yeah, be like yeah, would. that understudy that you're like, Hey, did you know? So-and-so understudied this person in this show where it's like, no way. Now that person has a Tony. We all love Skeeter, but yeah. it had to be Kermit. It had to be Kermit. And I do, I've always been fascinated with the relationship between Kermit and Piggy and how they kind of found their way to that with like Muppets Team Manhattan. And because mm-hmm. um, it had always been alluded to on the late seasons of The Muppet Show. And then they've just kind of leaned into it. And it's, it's very sweet and strange. And I think we see the most human version of Piggy that we've seen of her. She's very subdued in this movie, but still being Miss Piggy mm-hmm. in, in the best possible way. But like also like then going, oh, but like Fozzie as Fozzie Wig. Like you just can't. You can't there, not. <laughs> there are all of these things that are so perfect that they just ended up getting right. And I find this is the the way with a lot of the Disney Renaissance animated films, though the original version of what they were going to do was going to be good, for some reason when they ripped some things away that just seemed weird, the movie ends up working in the best way. Um, and it's just so great. But what I also think was really great was that, like, you also have them combining the Muppets puppetry with digital animation like with the ghost of christmas past Mm -hmm. she's floating but she still looks like she was created by the henson people um she's um well reading about it apparently she is a puppet that was submerged in baby oil um and it was hard to keep her clean, but they were able to get the really slow folding of all the fabric around her because of the viscosity of the baby oil. And wow. so, and then they were able to do the post composite of like the glowing and everything. But she's still a Muppet in a way that we hadn't seen before. So we're seeing this Disney ingenuity being combined with the Muppets, which is what Jim had always done. Cause like we can look at the Muppets, but then look at Dark Crystal and Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. They're. One part where uh, the Jim Henson Storyteller Hour, which is just all these weird fairy tales. So it just seems like the Muppets were built to kind of start recreating literature and recreating this story. Now, what do you think it is about the Christmas Carol that we keep connecting to or we keep going back to? Because I feel like every theater across the country does some form of it during Christmas time. Right. city you go to. Well, it's, it's about to open on Broadway again. They're bringing the London version over, which was so good when I saw it there two years ago. It's breathtaking. Um, it's it. playing. <laughs> it's playing at the Lyceum for like three weeks. It would definitely be worth seeing. Okay. Oh, yes. I'm going to try my hardest. I think, I think what people keep just coming back to for Christmas Carol is um, humans as a general rule are selfish for the most part. I'm not saying that as a, I'm not saying that with a negative connotation. They are, they are selfish. You know, there is a lot of um, what can I get out of this? What do I need to do? What will happen to me if this doesn't, you know, if, if this doesn't uh, come to fruition, Mm-hmm. But here is a story about a man who is, you know, a lot of people tend to be this way around Christmas. You know, ah, Christmas is coming. You know, you're thinking mm-hmm. all of the money I have to spend. Oh, I have to go and do this. I have to go and and fix this food. And here is a man who has sort of that 
realist realism Mm -hmm. cynicism about him and Mm -hmm. he is over the course of one night changed by Mm -hmm. the magic of christmas and he's given a warning Mm -hmm. that you know he's given a warning he is shown by the two people that he knew best in life (laughs) Mm -hmm. this is what will happen to you you are on a dark and dangerous path and i think a lot of us have that fear of what happens in the afterlife am i on a dark and dangerous path myself is is are the things that i'm doing going to affect my ultimate my ultimate end place and then you have that once you get into this is the warning of what will happen to you then your eyes sort of get opened up to how your actions affect others Mm-hmm. And what the the how the things that that you put into the world put out into the world immediately and really I mean it's just it's a beautiful it's a beautiful story so it taps into that selfishness mm-hmm. that humans tend to mm-hmm. have and it makes you open your eyes to okay so this is what you have going on but now look at this family look at this family and look at your family that you're neglecting. And so really all of the things that Scrooge experiences are Mm -hmm. fears. You know, Mm -hmm. you have that fear of, Mm -hmm. of an eternal and horrible afterlife. You have that heartwarming, this is what I'm doing. And this is how it's affecting this family with all of these kids, one of whom is dying and then being tiny Tim. And then um it takes him to it takes him to Fred's house where he finds out everybody's talking about him behind his back and everyone hates him and then the ultimate ultimate like stab of uh, just just the final nail in the coffin is after he's dead when everybody's cheering about it nobody misses him nobody cares and so it's it's ta- this story taps into everything that we fear, I think, mm-hmm. as a human, it's, including dying alone. Yeah, it's it's such a human story mm-hmm. that actually, in something that I think is really beautiful about it in the way that we do it now, is while we still look at the historical connotation of what England would have looked like, it is a show, or a story that uh, transcends class and race. Um, Mm -hmm. especially in America. And I think I hate being like, it's oddly poignant now, but like, it's still oddly poignant. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's one of those that we all really need to sit and listen to. It's, um, especially the Muppets version where, where they lighten the, the, the message just a little, but I think they don't tamper with it in the way of it's like Scrooge is going to die. Like it's, it's also one of those things that they still deal with it in a really delicate way of like, we're all going to die. And in fact, they still show Tiny Tim has passed away. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, in this, this isn't the first time that Disney's done this because there's the Mickey's Christmas Carol, which it's right. Scrooge McDuck, um, uh, which was about 10 years before. But like, it's, they could have Disney-fied this in a lot of ways because it was Disney working with the Muppets, but they didn't. And I think it's a really strong moment. And as a matter of fact, having the Ghost of Christmas Pass be that, Dementor before we had Dementors. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of really scary 
force that Scrooge doesn't get those answers, but yeah. he has all those answers that he needs. And they do um, this amazing thing with uh, with the ghost of, of Christmas yet to come where it is still a Muppet, but what they do is they get rid of the comedic relief in every sense, mm-hmm. and they get rid of all familiarity. Mm-hmm. So, like, Gonzo and Rizzo say, oh, this is scary, I'll see you at the finale, and then they dip, yeah. and we don't see them until the very end where they're like, we're back, we promised we would be, you know, yeah. and then they're there. But what they also do is um, you don't see any Muppets that you recognize. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. all new. Actually, I think there mm-hmm. might be a couple of the Muppets from like Pigs in Space. There might be a couple of those pigs yeah. in there, but like you don't, you don't see Kermit anymore. You don't see it's mm-hmm. your your point of reference and point of mm-hmm. contact is this scary. Float. So in the same way, you're you're um, you're in the same boat that Scrooge is in, where he doesn't recognize anybody. He's just seeing people stealing his things and and being happy that he's dead, and it's terrifying. It is. And and it's a faceless Muppet, which we typically don't get either. Mm-hmm. That's really, it, it is that embodiment of those things that we fear turning around and seeing in a shadow. Mm-hmm. Like we, we fear, it's that moment of when the Grim Reaper comes, it's that thing that we fear seeing. Um, and we fear what's being, what's going to be shown to us, which is what, um, you know, Scrooge is seen because he doesn't even just see his own death. He has to see his own loss of love. Which to me is a huge, there's so much focus today on everybody being in love and finding someone we can love and and, Mm -hmm. and being with that person and and having family and things. And we see that he has love, that he is capable of love. Um, The only thing that I think is interesting is they kind of omit the later bits of his story with his sister that are in other versions of the play. um, But we also get more with the love interest Belle in this as well, which I think is um, interesting in many ways. so glad you brought up Belle because this is, again one of like top three favorite movies of all time hands down my favorite christmas movie and i cannot tell you how upsetting it is to me that they cut the love is gone from all of the current and future i mean oh it is you want to talk about something heartbreaking is after young scrooge walks away so like she sings Uh her first verse of the love is gone and then he walks away so just essentially saying all right either i don't i wonder what the direction was and what the actor playing young scrooge was was given or was told as his motivation to walking away is he giving up on the relationship is he Mm -hmm. thinking that she'll come Mm -hmm. around is he not realizing that she's done so what is Mm -hmm. What is that moment where he walks away? Um, and oh my gosh. And so he walks away, and then Michael Caine comes and stands right off of her shoulder. And it's a very theatrical way that they do this because they could have done a cinematic sort of look at her and then look at him and then back to her, but they didn't. They had him stand right off of her shoulder looking at her as she looks straight out and they both sing it was almost love it was almost always my favorite interval in the world it was like a fair 
fairy tale we'd live out you and I and it's just so heartbreakingly beautiful mm-hmm. and that full song is just stunning and then at the very end as she's walking past then you focus on Rizzo who is sobbing which is (laughs) echoing all the adults yes and then it like makes it okay like you're allowed to feel sad which Mm -hmm. is another thing that Muppets do even Mm -hmm. through Mm -hmm. Sesame Street Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. where they identify your feelings and they let you know that it's okay to feel these feelings because other people and Muppets do as well. But that if I had one big just gripe with the whole movie Mm -hmm. and I don't know if it's Disney, I don't know who made the executive decision, but I am furious and I want it fixed. Oh, I can tell you. I can tell you. And I love that you immediately went to this when I brought up Belle. You knew what I was bringing up. I was bringing up the song. Um, Well, Brian Henson was very upset because he was not included in the decision to cut the song. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it also is a direct counterpoint to The Love Was Found. Like, it is a direct counterpoint moment. And that is how he structured the film. Um, But Jeffrey Katzenberg, who is deep enemy of the pod... um, uh, who was the studio head of Walt Disney Studios at the time, um, did what he did with a lot of songs and moments in movies um, where he thought it wasn't going to appeal to young children. So he's like, just cut it. Just cut it. The kids aren't going to get it. Because he was still under the assumption that only animated films were for children mm-hmm. and that adults only were seeing them because they had to come. When really, let's be honest, anytime there's a Muppet movie all the past generations of Muppets fans are going to come see it. Also because the Muppets were never created to be a property for children. That's what Sesame Street was for. I mean, Jim's second uh, pilot film was called Sex and Violence. So Mm -hmm. like they're, you know, it's the Muppets were just like the Looney Tunes and Hanna-Barbera things. They were supposed to be body. They were a little potty humor. It was, it was for adults to be able to laugh and and feel things and, and communicate in a way that you're going, oh, it's a funny, it's, right. it's a frog puppet. Yeah, they were like live action comic strips. You know, kids mm-hmm. don't read the comic strips. If the kids do, no. then mm-hmm. the jokes go right over their head. You know, they're mm-hmm. looking at cartoons. But really, it's, it's like Garfield, you know, where mm-hmm. it's supposed to be for adults, just something a little more lighthearted for adults that echoes what they're dealing with in their everyday life in a fun, colorful package. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's, you know, you can layer those things in a film be able to be for the adults and the kids, which I think the Muppets always are able to do in a really beautiful way um, through all of their properties. Um, now, there would be one Muppet movie released that wasn't under Disney, which was Muppets in Space, um, which, you know, but I... Even watching through all the Muppet films through now that Disney owns them again, I always feel like they are able to keep to the heart and soul of the Muppets in the most beautiful way. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it does break my heart a little that like Frank Oz hasn't been brought back on to voice Piggy again and like those things. But like he was Yoda in the last Star Wars movie. So we're like, you know, I'm, you know, I mean, it's, it's okay. Or yeah. there are these little things. But um for anyone who doesn't know what Brynn and I have been talking about, there was a song uh, sung by Belle 
um, as she laments Scrooge's love of money, replacing her his love for her. And the song uh, was cut from the film, the theatrical release. Um, and it's obvious that there's something missing. And so it would never be released in theaters. But it has been released on and off with the DVDs um, or home video releases. So it was included in the 93 VHS um, and the Laserdisc. I, I don't know if anybody but schools ever actually bought Laserdiscs, but <laughs> here we are. Um, and then the 2002 and the 2005 DVDs do retain the song, but only in the full screen version of the film, not in the widescreen version of the film. Um, there is a 2012 standalone DVD uh, that uses the same disc as the 2005, so it also has the song... Um, but the 2012 Blu-ray combo pack, which is what I have, does not have the song on it. And when I found that out, I was very upset. So I think I'm going to have to hunt down a version of this with the, the song in yes. it now, just so I have it. That's so upsetting. Uh, if you're going to have a two-disc version, I mean, with all of the blooper reels and the director commentary, mm-hmm. I mean, we can if you can put the entirety of, like, the director's cut of Lord of the Rings on one disc, then you can yeah. Put a minute and thirty second song into the the cut scene added bonus deleted feature whatever you need to call it. It's true. I agree with you a thousand percent. Now I will say, if you do the digital download from Amazon or Apple, it is included in the film. So if you buy the digital version, it is completely wrapped back in in the widescreen and in the high def version. So that is something good out there um, for anyone. And now I'm kind of going through this. Um, our show, assuming that people are either seeing the movie or they're going to decide to watch the movie after. Now, I don't know if I've ever met someone who has not seen this movie. In fact, going through the internet and our social media for the podcast, and then just like my friend group, when you bring them up at Christmas Carol, everybody's like, oh, the best version of the Christmas Carol. It's the best Christmas movie. And I go, okay, it's one of my favorite Christmas movies. It is one of the best. Um, I, I don't think we can... With Christmas movies, we can't say what's the best because that's, you know, it's a little crazy. Um, but, uh, we you know, we're all going to have our preference. But I do, I love that this movie is, n- in my opinion, is never going to be forgotten um, in, in a way that I just think, uh, you know, it's beautiful. And I think it's because it's a period piece. They did this nice thing where there aren't too many pop culture references to ground it into the early 90s. Um, it's styled in a really honest and beautiful kind of period drama, costume drama kind of way. Um, cause one of the things I always ask all of our, our guests is how does everything chalk up in 2019 and 2020? And honestly, I think this holds up. Um, I don't see anything really problematic in it. I rewatched it the other day and I don't think there's problematic humor. I don't think there's problematic jokes or like content. Um, and I just, I think it holds up so well and well, is an eternal classic. Yeah, and I think that has a lot to do with the original Charles Dickens source material mm-hmm. that he just wrote such a timeless story that can be used and reused and translated and retranslated. And, um, you know, you can, you can do it in ballet and opera and musical theater and, and straight plays and movies. And there's there are so many different ways that you can tell this story but it is still at the heart the story and I wonder if I wonder if some of the the problematic things that might have been included in this story were what 
Disney and Brian Henson with their, for the most part, they have a great sort of, um, uh, they have a great way of, of sort of peering into the future, mm-hmm. um, at least with their with their newer things. That's a whole different podcast. We want to talk about problematic yeah, Disney. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, uh, don't worry. I'll call you. I have something we're cooking up. So that, that'll be very big. So I'm so excited. Oh, I'm yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll tell you when it. we stop recording. Perfect. <laughs> it's a big surprise for a summer release. It's going to be the series or the season finale of the yes. show. So, oh, goodness. Uh, so we, we will talk about that when we get off. We I can't off wait. Here. But it's um, I wonder if some of the deleted things like the reason why Scrooge's sister isn't included, because to me, that seems like a big character development because you have this grumpy Mm -hmm. man who doesn't need anything, doesn't want anything from anybody. He's angry. He's bitter. He's um, I don't even know if Michael Caine's version is angry so much as focused you would see this as a focused businessman as opposed to I hate everyone and everything because you don't have any sympathy for him. He's just, Mm -hmm. it's it's like, you know, he, he just, this is the way that he wants to live his life. Um, so to omit his sister who in the original book and correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm like mistaking different versions, but didn't she die giving birth to, Fred. Yes. And I believe so. Like, I, I feel like that's that stuck out to me. And she was she had this same youthful, happy, optimistic spirit that Fred has. And so really Scrooge's only weakness is his nephew, Fred, because he yeah. encompasses the same spirit that his sister had about mm-hmm. Christmas and about family in general, which is why it's so heartbreaking to Scrooge why it affects him so much when he with the ghost of Christmas present kind of looks into their Christmas party and sees everybody including Scrooge making fun of him and being hateful towards him and that the only person who speaks with any kind of kindness or fondness about Scrooge is Bob Cratchit who says you know the founder of the feast Mm-hmm. You know, basically say we don't have a lot, but what we do have is because of him. And for that, I'm grateful. Right. So it just it seems like it's it's a lot more character development to have Scrooge's sister in it. Mm-hmm. And it just adds another piece to his story. And I think that's something that Michael Caine would have done beautifully. Or if that gets a little yeah. too dark for Disney, are we not um, addressing death by childbirth here like maybe that's a little too far or um but I I wonder if any of the potentially problematic humor would have come in those omitted pieces of the story yeah um yeah so I did look it up and it's his sister did die giving birth to Fred um it's not verbatim in the book but it is implied and then Dickens wrote a little bit about um Perhaps Scrooge uh, has some resentment towards his only nephew mm-hmm. who took his sister, who he loved more than anyone else, away um, and projecting that on Fred a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. Um, because I mean, also because death during childbirth is uh, excessively, uh, excessively um, uh, a huge thing for this time. And apparently Ebenezer's mother died giving childbirth to him. 
So there was resentment from his father towards Ebenezer um, in these things. So, uh, you know, there are these these little things that, again, Dickens doesn't go into because it's just a novella. But, um, you know, it's it's there are these things that I think we could sit here and, and pick, pick that apart. Um, but I do think I do. Yeah, I do think by omitting that thing that by that story of his sister, it actually saves it's it's they're able to give their Scrooge that focus, which is why we then get the flashbacks to like young Scrooge mm-hmm. working through holidays. Um, and then that's actually something for a lot of like young people to connect with. I know like I'm getting my master's right now and seeing a lot of my students that are like, I'm working three jobs and I'm taking 21 credits and I'm doing three shows a year, like all these things. And we do massive productions here. So like, mm-hmm. you know, it's just one of those things that it's seen it and going, Oh, I, I get why in the nineties when we were seeing a focus on all kids going to college after maybe their parents didn't need to before all their parents, like you have to go to college. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're seeing that moment of it. It's connecting to the pop culture of the time in a way that doesn't need to be a pop reference, but it is a socio-political connection to what is happening in the world um, that they then feel is going to speak to, you know, if a teenager is being grumpy because he's forced to go see this movie on Christmas break when he wants to hang out with his friends because he doesn't want to hang out with his family. But then they see this and there is something that can like, you know, speak to him. I know I was in 10th grade when Princess Diaries came out and like the journey of Mia Thermopolis Rinaldi just spoke to my little queer heart in such a way, (laughs) in the most Disney way. That's such an amazing, that's, I mean, that's another example of just Disney doing it right and really tapping into those those feelings. I know that there's that moment where the it's like the first time that you see Mia where she's standing in the mirror and she goes, well, this is as good as it's going to get. And Before she goes like, to school and I was like, yes. oh, uh, yes. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. Yes, the yes. accuracy. No, I do love that whole thing where it's just like some fuzzy eyebrows and some glasses and some Hermione Granger hair makes her quirky and not traditionally attractive. Oh, of course. But I mean, that's just <laughs> that's just that late 90s, early 2000s, oh, yeah. like oh, ponytail yeah. glasses and overalls makes for just the most unattractive person in the world. You straighten her hair and, <laughs> and put a mini skirt on her and suddenly you have Jessica Alba. Like, it's it, true. Oh, <laughs> oh, you just called out an entire genre of film and I am here for it <laughs> I am so here for it oh my god it's it oh yeah I mean and that but that's kind of what Disney does you know they're they're formulaic and a lot of what they do but I feel like a lot of this movie broke well not even broke a formula they created a new formula and a way of storytelling that they hadn't used before mm-hmm. um because they didn't Disneyfy this story relatively at all right. um which is something that is not common. They will typically put their twist on anything they can. And then when, you know, 40 years later, they'll go, well, let's remake it with real people. We'll put another twist on it. It's right. fine. Um, but one thing about Disney is, though, although they do Disney-fy it and they'll take away certain things like you know, in, in Little Mermaid, Ariel throwing herself into the sea, essentially. Yeah committing suicide or they'll do like uh, they'll take out any of the the assault that happens to Mm -hmm. aurora um Mm -hmm. disney doesn't and has never shied away from death yeah so 
It's no. like they. It's Ted like parents <laughs> makes a great story. Exactly. There we go. <laughs> it's like they leave the inevitable, so like mm-hmm. life and death, but they take out any of the trauma. So I wonder if Muppet Christmas Carol has been Disneyfied in omitting anything about Fred's mother and dying young, and why Scrooge. So if that's their way of mm-hmm. Disneyfying it, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's they they don't shy away from death, Mm-mm. but they they do kind of wrap things up in a happy little bow. Mm-hmm. You know they, mm-hmm. so that's that's something interesting. I, do, I, I think it's something that is interesting that they do do because they Disney can rewrite a lot of things, but you can't rewrite the in- inevitability of we all are born and then we're all going to pass at some point. Now what happens beyond that? Mm-hmm. No one knows until we get there and that'll be one heck of a ride. Um, but you know, it's one of those things that they were like, we can deal with the inevitabilities that happen while we're here. And a lot of kids up to that point, you know, we had after school specials and with things like Disney, even kids need to be given a, a dialogue and a vocabulary for how to communicate grief and fear and sadness and things. Um, I saw a great, I don't want to say meme, but a a great little thing about, you know, as adults, we're learning finally how to have a vocabulary to talk about depression and anxiety Mm -hmm. and mental health. But like a a kid is just going to go, my tummy hurts. And then somebody's going, oh, well, you're fine. Because that's just the only way they know how to talk about feeling anxious or feeling Mm -hmm. depressed or panicky. Um, And so I think these things are able to give them a way that parents can then also have a conversation of, you know, this is, you know, because most kids lose one or two family members in a lifetime before they turn 18. Mm -hmm. Um, Just because, you know, that'll happen with grandparents. It can happen with unexpected accidents and things. It just, it happens. Or in, you know, today's world, I, you know, I I don't envy parents because they have a lot to traverse. They have a lot to discuss and deal with. Um, But I think, knowing that you not always have Disney, but like when you have things like the Muppets on your side to mm-hmm. kind of help help with these stories, I think it's really kind of important and I think it's really necessary. Yeah. Um, and so even like, um, you know, necessarily I wouldn't call admitting the sister Disney-fying, but if that's the Disney-fying they needed to do, we still mm-hmm. get such a clear and concise story. And you're right, because there are things like in those grim fairy tales Cinderella animated wasn't really served any better purpose by the sisters cutting off their toe and their ankle. Right. Their heel. <laughs> but, you know, Disney did Into the Woods and they were able to put those back in in the movie. Right. You know, no matter, so I think it's no all how in, we feel about that film. In the way that in the way that they do it and how yeah. can this service the kids mm-hmm. and how can it help them? Because I know that when I was when I was growing up and it's so funny that you say that like kids don't say I have anxiety. They say my tummy hurts. Um, I when I was growing up, I couldn't and wouldn't express the way that I felt. Mm-hmm. So what but what I would do is I would sing a song or and even to this day, I would quote movies you know, um, so like when, <laughs> when, when I was like three, um, and I would get angry at my father, mm-hmm. I would start singing, um, just you wait, Henry Higgins from <laughs> my fair lady. lady. <laughs> yes. Except I wouldn't sing just you wait, Henry Higgins. I would say just you wait, daddy Williams. 
Because, you know, that's, and that yeah. was my way of like essentially cursing him out, you know, because that's <laughs> what. <laughs> That's, you gave it to him good. You oh, I sure so did. <laughs> and I still identify with that. You know, I would go through a really bad breakup and I would just, you know, s- listen to, to Jar of Hearts, that song Jar of oh, Hearts. And, yeah. you know, so like it it really does. <laughs> it, it really is fascinating the way that kids tap into those feelings. My brother, completely off topic, but my brother got off of a scary ride at an amusement park and um, he, he hated the ride. I was on it with him. He absolutely hated it. And when he got off the ride, he ran to my mom and he said, mom, mom. And she said, what is it? And he said, my leg won't stop shivering. <laughs> Which was his way of saying, I am so scared, I'm trembling, and I don't want to go back on it again. But it is fascinating the way that Disney and the Muppets, they do that, where they give you ways to deal with your grief. They give you characters to look at that, Mm -hmm. that... Maybe you wouldn't necessarily recognize that emotion on another human being, but when you're looking at a lion, (laughs) you're looking Mm -hmm. at the face of a lion, then Mm -hmm. suddenly you understand it, or a fox, Mm -hmm. or a dog, Mm -hmm. or you're seeing seeing Miss Piggy stare at an empty chair Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. Tiny Tim used to be, and it's just... Heartbreaking. Well, and I think there's really something important anytime that we see a lot of kind of genuine human non-performative emotion out of Miss Piggy mm-hmm. because she's she's um a very she's a Leo. She is very much a Leo in many <laughs> ways, myself as a Leo. She's very performative in what she does and kind of how she deals with her emotions and she processes right. in a way that I don't think has ever been offensive to women because she's mm-hmm. supposed to be a stereotype of women of the time, but I think I think, yeah, this is, it's those beautiful moments where we see, we literally see vulnerability from a puppet. And to me, these performers have never been commended in the way that they should because they literally, with their voices, and what a lot of people don't know is they, they record and they do the voice acting while they're doing the puppetry. Mm Now, a lot of it, they go back in and we'll tub back over, but like, you know, they're acting with all of their body literally contorted and doing weird things and giving these amazing performances. Like, there's nothing, nothing, like, when Kermit will just look and then he just looks down. Right. And it's so gutting. Um, yeah, if you well, watch like interviews... For- Oh my gosh, if you watch interviews with um, Jim Henson from before mm-hmm. he passed away, and he talks about how Kermit is a glorified sock puppet, and what he mm-hmm. does is if he mm-hmm. lifts up a pinky, you know, then that gives Kermit the look of um, raising an eyebrow, and suddenly he mm-hmm. looks inquisitive mm-hmm. or, you know, tucking mm-hmm. in his fingers, and now suddenly he's mad. Mm-hmm. Watching Jim Henson create Kermit facial expressions without mm-hmm. having Kermit on is mm-hmm. a masterclass in how you can portray emotion with anything. Well, in hot take, the office would have never worked without the Muppets. If the Muppets hadn't existed before the office, the office wouldn't work because Jim literally is a human Kermit the Frog <laughs> in the way that he reacts. Cause Jim will just like, and like, I even catch myself and then I'll just, 
I'll pull in and then I'll look to a non-existent camera because that's just what Kermit would do. He'd pull in and then look right to the camera. So he's looking at all of Mm -hmm. us. But all of those moments from the office, which is supposed to be winks and nods to like old school humor, the Muppets really refined so much of this performance to me, which is just so incredible. And you talk about how the Muppets have always given people a dialogue and given examples I think you know they're a little separate because especially because like Disney doesn't own Sesame Street but Sesame Street has never ever been one to cut to the chase um, and now we have so many characters from so many different backgrounds I mean there's uh, a little puppet who's HIV positive there's a mm-hmm. puppet who is autistic who has a speaker that she uses a little speaking pad we now have the brand new Muppet who is um dealing with being in foster care while her mom is in rehab right um oh today is the 50th anniversary of sesame street that's right today. how could i have forgotten about that i don't know I, I don't know how we could have planned this better but you know it's one of those things that it's it's so important this legacy and i know jim never wanted to do children's programming but I just I I wouldn't be the person I am without the Muppets and without Sesame Street and just without this world. I mean, when I did my Disney College program, I worked at Hollywood Studios and it was a rough time. We weren't making a lot. We worked a lot of hours. And even though you were like, I'm working at Disney, you're like, I'm making seven ninety an hour. Ah, working two to two. Um, and while I loved it and it was brilliant, I would go back any second. Um, I would go to work early and go watch Muppet Vision 3D because, like, I had that connection with the Muppets and it would just make me feel better. And it's something that's really nice to know that even though Disney doesn't quite know what to do with them now, mm-hmm. the fact that the Muppets are still present is really important for me. And the fact that, like, Muppet Vision is kind of crunchy and it was 1990 when when it premiered, 91, that, like, it's it's still just so important to know that they're there and, like, Miss Piggy's Statue of Liberty statue is still there. Right. Um, something I do think is interesting is, like, the Christmas and Muppets have always gone together because whether you're talking about, like, Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas, mm-hmm. which is apparently getting remade by Disney, I don't know yeah, why. Yeah, I, I don't know if they're getting, if they're remaking it or I heard something about, like, a, I know there was a stage production mm-hmm. at some point that they did up at, like, yeah. Goodspeed. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I could see it being easily animated and working in a beautiful way as well. Um, but, like, there was a Christmas Sesame Street that happened. Mm-hmm. We had John Denver and the Muppets. I mean, we've had Muppets alone with Muppet Christmas Carol, four made-for-TV Christmas specials, and Muppets Christmas Carol, plus a Fraggle Rock Christmas, a Sesame Street Christmas, and an Otter. So that's eight Christmas properties, and... The 40 years of, or 50 years of the Muppets being on television, Mm -hmm. like, you know, I think um, there's actually a really cool, um, uh, this is just a little plug for everybody. There's a channel called The Funked Land that does really amazing um, Disney Parks uh, videos, but they do a television series now, which... um, they did a five-part miniseries about Jim Henson's legacy on television, starting as a college student and going all the way up to his death. So the last episode literally ends with his televised funeral, which I will prepare everyone for. I wept the entire 35-minute mm-hmm. video um, because they just talk. I mean, it's the Muppets coming out and singing Jim's favorite songs and like all the voice actors being there. And literally you have Big Bird and all of the Muppets in 
the funeral with Jim, but Kermit never comes. Yes. Kermit isn't there because Kermit doesn't. And it's, it's, it's heart-wrenching. Oh, um, I've watched would, that would, so many times on YouTube. And yeah. one of the things that, in addition to everyone singing, and one of, one of the moments that really, a couple of the moments that break my heart, just watching all of their camaraderie and looking at, because it starts off with the, the original, like, what, five or six um, mm-hmm. performers up there. And you're watching everybody mourn their friend but you're also watching everybody try to cheer up and sort of rallying around frank oz who is really really just holding it together by a thread and loses it at a moment and then that very end where they finally take out the muppet they're singing a, a medley and they're doing it without the without the actual physical muppets they're singing a medley of all the different songs and then um i forget who it is that starts singing it but they I, sing that I song it just no cuz rolf would have been rolf was rolf also a jim henson so it wasn't it wasn't rolf but they sing if just one person believes in you Oh, yes. That part. And then everybody comes out and then they bring out all of the the puppeteers and everybody is singing it. And it's just oh, that one like I think it's maybe like a 10 minute video or so Mm -hmm. where they're singing a medley and you're Mm -hmm. seeing that you just you're seeing Jim's legacy up there Mm -hmm. on the stage and Oh, it's so beautiful. And when, um, forgive me, I'm blanking on this performer's name, who um, was Gonzo. Mm -hmm. And uh, he sings, I'm going to go back there someday. Guts me. That's when I lose it every time. time. Like, I just, it's ugly. (laughs) It's, it's, uh, it's like that ugly. It's like. When I watch Coco, ugly yes. crying, like mm-hmm. I just um, Dave Goals. Yes, yes. Oh, uh, talk about a phenomenal oh, performer. I just I and I lose it. I am. Oh, I I can't because that's also one of my favorite Muppet songs as well. Me too. Um, because the Muppet musicals are so interesting because they're always such moments of sadness that just enrapture you so much and then they do this beautiful job of like propelling you forward and having to keep going and it's 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 such a replication of life and I think to me that with Jim's death and then this movie this is a further culmination of Jim's legacy especially mm-hmm. because Brian directed it but Jim always idolized Walt Disney and looked up to Disney and wanted his company to be just like Disney and so I think when he and Michael Eisner started talking about like Jim selling the company to Disney and all these things, um, that ended up not happening until much later. But I think this movie in particular, out of all of the Disney Muppet movies, is is that like final piece of Jim's legacy because it's so respectful and it's so beautiful and it's done so well. Mm-hmm. Um and it's it is an eternal classic. I feel like this is one that people like your family does, my family does. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, my family still watches it on the VHS on Christmas because my dad still has a VHS player. <laughs> um, I have so much respect for that. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, we still. I I was mad because they got rid of all the Disney clamshells, but um, you know, it's fine. It's fine. It's all fine. Um, but um, yeah, it's just so. It's so important, and I think I could just keep walking in circles and just talking about how important and how special it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I think it, it's it's one of those things where Disney did everything right in those mm-hmm. moments, and I think they were ultimately very rewarded for that. Because um, sometimes it's not always about box office, and this movie was definitely not about box office at the end of the day. I know they did well. Um, but it it wasn't ultimately about that box office, right? Um, what what did they? In- so it had a twelve million dollar budget, and in North America, because I believe initially this only got a North American um, film release, it did about twenty eight million dollars, just short of that. Which I'd take twenty eight million dollars. Yeah, you know, if anyone's listening wants to make a little donation to an artist, I'll yeah, twenty eight million. We yeah, could do some I mean, cool. It- it's not cool. it's not Avatar, but you know they brought stuff in. You know, twenty twenty eight million is a really nice Broadway musical. I'm just, or it's or it's like four really great off Broadway shows. Mm-hmm. So you know, because that's what that's where the good stuff's happening right now. But uh, you know, uh, it's I think this is just so important, and it also helped that it was still all of those. You know, it was Steve, it was Dave, it was Jerry Nelson, it was Frank Oz. But then you had Steve Wittemeyer who, you know, stepped in for Kermit for the first time. Mm -hmm. Um, But he'd been he'd been working for the Muppets and with Jim since 1978. So he wasn't new. He was one of those kind of established. Right. um, And I think and it helped the Jerry Jewell, who is a longtime writer for the Muppets. They Disney let all the right people work on this. Mm -hmm. And it looks like they didn't pull too many punches with Brian other than the song cut. Mm-hmm. But I think as far as like, cause like the same, you're talking about Aladdin with Howard Ashman, who, who pushed a lot of this, who died of complications with AIDS. And then Jeffrey Katzenberg was just like, no, we're not, we're not sticking to anything Ashman did. We're, we're cutting everything that we have to. And we're not, and you know, even cutting proud of your boy, which is just a beautiful musical mm-hmm. theater ballad, um, which thankfully ended up back in the musical. But, you know, they could have done much worse things to this that I think we've seen a little bit later with the Muppets of they now aren't quite sure what to do with them or the purpose they serve. Right. Um, but I'm glad they're still, you know, because we had that Muppet show in the 90s, which I thought was pretty popular. They, you know, they did for a couple series where they, they tried to bring it back and do that same uh, that same um, kind of style that made the 70s Muppet Show work. But this is just a shining star that I also think propelled for Muppet Treasure Island. I don't think if this hadn't happened, Muppet Treasure Island wouldn't be as nearly successful either. Oh, absolutely not. Um, and Muppet Treasure Island was the... That was the first time that they reintroduced Rolf. And they even said because mm-hmm. they re- they retired Rolf because Rolf mm-hmm. was Jim's first... Mm-hmm. Muppet. He was yep. not the first Muppet, but he was the, I guess, the, the first reoccurring One of Muppet. The regulars. First, yeah, yes, yeah, first yes, yes, yes. regular, even before Kermit. And that was mm-hmm. sort of his signature Muppet. And they had retired the character. And then for Muppet Treasure Island, there is one scene where Rolf is at a piano and. You look at him and oh, if you if you know it, if you know it and know to look for it, then it really is just a, a beautiful, heartbreaking, tear-jerking moment in a happy, 
in a happy scene where it's just Rolf at the piano and Rolf's playing the piano and he turns and he looks directly into the camera and he like kind of sort of lets his ears flop Mm. and he doesn't say anything and he's not in any other part of the movie. He doesn't say anything. It's just him at the piano instead of Dr. Teeth. And it's... It's such a sweet nod where, like, if you know what they're doing, then you know. And it's just, oh, it makes me so happy every time. And also makes me cry in a scene that isn't sad. So if you, and I can't remember exactly when in the movie it is, um, but Rolf is playing the piano. And I'm sure it, it has to do with all of the, the, the pirates. So, um, like the Mm -hmm. Tim Curry Mm-hmm. Long John, all those pirates. Um, but if you can find it, it's it's such a sweet moment. It takes like maybe a split second. So if you blink, you'll miss it. But it's oh. it's a wonderful nod to Jim. That's that's so beautiful. Now, um, since you know we've talked about how this movie holds up, there is something that happened a few years ago. Now, I believe it was 2013. It was after Mary Poppins had closed on Broadway. And Disney was utilizing the new Amsterdam to try a new something out to see if the Muppets would work on Broadway. And they did, I believe, five numbers um, from the show. And it was like an industry thing. You either had to work for the company or be a producer, something to be invited. But they did like Rainbow Connection. They did a couple like these key old Muppet moments live to see if they would work. And I think they just... I think they, they deemed that it was just going to be too expensive. It was going to be too too much work to make to make this kind of show happen, especially with, like, how the new AM is built mm-hmm. to hide sight lines to not see puppeteers. But, like, what do you, as, like, as like a Broadway performer yourself um, and, and a professional actor, what, what, how exciting would that be for you to know that they're like, okay, Bren, this is the show, but, like, you're doing scenes with Miss Piggy and Kermit. Like, how... How much fun would that be? I cannot tell you all of the things that I would give up and sacrifice for the rest of my life to have one night. Oh, okay. Perfect story. Um, (laughs) So I sang uh, when I was doing Bye Bye Birdie. I was invited to sing at a the the Frank Lesser benefit celebration Mm -hmm. thing that they do every year. And um there were all these people there. Uh, Audrey McDonald was there. Brian Stokes Mitchell was there. Like yeah. it was, it was the who's who of Broadway. Somehow I wound up there probably just because I worked with Tom Kitt. Um, <laughs> but it was, uh, one of the people who, uh, was there, um, Paul McCartney was there and performed and everybody is backstage and Paul McCartney was signing autographs so I was standing on stage left Paul McCartney was on stage right and um this is before the show started and uh everybody is like he's signing autographs he's taking pictures like he's standing over there just being the the loveliest human being in the world. And my mom was saying, Bryn, come on. And she has her camera and she's backstage (laughs) with me because I'm a minor. And she's going, Bryn, come on. We need to get your picture taken with Paul McCartney. We need to get your picture taken with Paul McCartney. This is a huge thing. And she could not move me 
with a dump truck she couldn't move me because I was freaking out because Cookie Monster, Grover, and Abby Cadabby were right there (laughs) on stage left with me. And I have pictures with all three of them. And there's even a picture of me where I have tears streaming down my face and I'm talking directly to them. And so I didn't get a one-on-one picture with Paul McCartney because I was more excited about Grover and Cookie Monster. Listen, and, uh, everybody's got that thing that is really important to them, and, and like, the Muppets are your thing. So yeah. that, was, that was your moment. It was. And also, and just tying it back to the, the Broadway, the, the sight lines being difficult, um, and Jim even said this before he passed away in interviews, where as long as you have the Muppet, if you're performing, if you're mm-hmm. being engaging... Nobody cares about the middle-aged guy who's standing there. They're all Mm -hmm. looking at Kermit. And there were even times, um, reports of um, doing... So, like, when when Jim did Muppets Take Manhattan and there was a scene where he's Mm -hmm. in the park, um, they were on a break, and one by one, kids started noticing that Kermit was there and walking up. And next thing you know, Jim Henson is doing like a 30-minute set where he's talking to the children and addressing the kids, and it held up production and filming because he's sitting there talking to them. And in that same way, I was 16 standing in front of... I was well aware that there was a person on the other end of Grover and Cookie Monster and Abby, Mm -hmm. but I, as a teenager, was so engulfed in the the Muppet. I was staring directly Mm -hmm. into Grover's eyes, and he was looking at me. And same thing with, with Cookie Monster. They are just... As as soon as the, the Muppet goes on, they're alive. And so you could put the Muppets on stage with nothing but a stool and a piano and have the performer right there with the Muppet on your lap. And I don't care about sight lines. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at the Muppet and that's the magic mm-hmm. of it. So I think they could do it without spending a whole lot of money. It doesn't mm-hmm. take big budgets. It just mm-hmm. takes those performers because of mm-hmm. how well Jim trained them how well I mean he really was the best yeah and all of his proteges are the best as a result yeah well I know they were talking about that if they did it it was going to be like a Muppet show live where every week you would have a new guest host come through I would go broke which I think is genius I would go broke I would go every week Mm -hmm. I would go every week um, and like I'm like well I would love to be on that wardrobe crew because I don't care about dressing the stars I want to dress the Muppets mm-hmm. I want to let me let me dress Miss Piggy let me dress them I love <laughs> there's just there's so much joy to them I know they used to tell the story of Frank Oz when they were filming Star Wars and it would be rough days like it would be hard days and Frank Oz would just have Yoda and Yoda would just start breaking out as Miss Piggy and doing the karate <laughs> lines and just doing old Miss Piggy lines as you know Yoda doing and it would just alleviate and break up the tension and just kind of move on I think the Muppets are something that I want to never ever be forgotten because they represent even though you know Jim's life wasn't perfect and, and he was a man of faults as well they represent so much goodness and so much um, of the positive side of human ingenuity. Mm-hmm. Um, 
It's the same thing when I did my college program and we were getting our name tags and Mickey Mouse walks in the room to give us our name tags and our hats and hug us and welcome us to the company. I knew it was another college program kid inside playing Mickey, but I didn't care because Mickey was handing me my name tag and handing, like putting Mickey ears on my head. Mickey's hiring you. I was sobbing. I, six foot three, 300 pound person, sobbing (laughs) unconsolably. You know, it's just those moments of you connect to the magic in some way and it is so important to you that like, I would rather have this than be someone who's just utterly unenthused by life and things Mm -hmm. and doesn't have I would rather be that weird passion overly passionate theater kid than just be someone who's apathetic and unmoved because you know what the weirdos we find each other Mm -hmm. and we make our own we make our own groups and like that's what's important to me and that's why that's why I keep working in theater when I'm exhausted and things and I'm burned out and I'm like you know what Who else am I going to hang out with? Nobody else is going to understand and no one's going to be nearly as much fun. Mm -hmm. Now, I know it's it's a little too late for this Christmas, but hear me out. I think we should produce a show at Studio 54 for you next year where you sing through the best of the Muppet Christmas songs. I would 100% do it in a heartbeat. We get some great guests, I think. Um, cause there are some people who I think would just be lovely to have on stage. I think you're in New York where they film Sesame Street. I feel like there could be a way to get that lovely new, um, guy that's doing Elmo now. I think that'd be fine. I think, we, I, I think it could be fun. I think we should do a Christmas show for you I next year. I would love that. The, and like, the, I know that Sesame Street films in New York. And when I tell mm-hmm. you how many long hours I've spent trying to find my way to Sesame Street, <laughs> I just oh here's something so um I just finished doing Charlie and the Chocolate Factory mm-hmm, our mm-hmm. Oompa Loompas were made by the the Jim Henson company oh, okay so I love that. um our ensemble members when they had their Oompa Loompa fittings um they got to go to like this warehouse in Brooklyn somewhere, like Queens something, where they got fit with their Oompa Loompas and they walk in and like Snuffy is standing right there and like all of the Fraggle Rock Muppets. And I cannot tell you when I learned all of this, I pulled every string in my principal power to make it so that I could go. And I cannot tell you how devastated I was to be playing a lead role in that moment than not getting to go to the Jim Henson, like, warehouse, like, workshop where they build and store and... Oh, you, my, even you know, now, was, my heart hurts. It was something I was thinking about earlier as I was researching for this. You just seem to me to be the kind of person that's like built to do like a Sesame Street or that new project that the uh, that the Sesame Street's doing for Apple Plus. That like Lindsay Mendez is literally mm-hmm. Orbanati, Lindsay Mendez. It's I, I saw all of that. I was like Andrew Keenan Bolger. I saw. I was like these are all probably people. Literally, it's got a film in New York, and I was like. This brand needs to book this. We need, we need to, you need to get your representation on the phone. I don't know who I need to speak to. I mean, I would start in the mail room. I would start like sweeping up floors. I would scrub toilets. I would do whatever I need to just be in 
a room working on any kind of Jim Henson, Sesame Street, Muppets, Fraggle Rock, any of it. Now, Bryn, mm-hmm. before we go, if you could do any duet with any one Muppet, who would it be? <sighs> one? One, okay, or a group of them. I know a group of them. <laughs> I know that's hard. I mean, I, I love the... I love the stillness of Kermit and that that calm in the middle of the storm. And um, I, I identify a lot with Kermit, but sometimes I think I'm more of a gonzo. So I would love to do I would love to do a Kermit duet because you could just sit and and sing and that's one of my favorite things to do is just sit and sing and enjoy the musicality um i would also love a fozzy duet that'd be so much fun like have you heard or seen the um when uh skeeter is singing uh uh simon smith and his dancing bear with fozzy yeah. I love that. Like that just that kind of happiness. So really any of it, but I think I would have to say Kermit. Like you can't go yeah. wrong with the Kermit duet. However, there's you could also go into the into the Sesame Street. It's an impossible question. I would It is. It is. It is. I yeah, it's it is an impossible question. I would question. do a duet with any of them really any of them any day i would learn spanish and sing a duet with rosita like it's a whole yeah i mean you know what you could get away with it with kermit is just doing a medley of kermit stuff Mm -hmm. i I mean it would be the new you know i could see it it'd be the new like judy and barbara happy days i could see it it'd be so good make it happen beautiful again Anyone who produces over at uh, 54 Below, give us a call. We've got some <laughs> ideas. Give a Bryn and Kermit Power Hour. Bryn and Kermit Power Oh, my God. That'd be so good. I don't even know. The Bryn Williams Power Hour. I think that'd be phenomenal. <laughs> you have, well, you're, you're instrument. I, anybody who is not familiar with Bryn, you need to, like, finish the episode and then go YouTube dive. Because, like, even back with 13 and Bye Bye Birdie, your instrument is just so amazingly powerful and unique thank you 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 have this beautiful mix and everything too like you just have an incredible instrument and so i think everyone just go go get on this level you want to know something you want to something funny about the um 13 era so during 13 i was a teenager (laughs) of course as is the the common and just talking about the fandoms um the, the Broadway world, yes. The fans were nuts. Like, they, we would sign autographs and then have to go and leap through a different exit because, like, we were getting followed yeah. down the street. It was yeah. a lot. And we opened, like, right at the beginning of the recession or the tail end of the yes. recession. But yes. the recession was a big part of it. So we did not last long. Um, but we had this huge cult following. Um, me being a teenager and being an avid Broadway fan, I was all over the Broadway world um, site Worms. in general. Ooh. And I did the one thing that you should never do, which is I went on to the message boards on Broadway World started reading about my show and a lot of the things were like 
things that you would expect who in the cast of 13 should date who do you think is dating you know a lot of that um who uh rate the the cast of 13 from most talented to least talented like the things that people would say and not just kids and teenagers but like adults would say about us it's crazy um so they uh, there was this one board in particular that said what do you think the cast of 13 is going to go on to do after this and some of them rightly you know uh anticipated that a couple of the kids are going to go on to Nickelodeon or Disney or get picked up by these sites. Hmm. <laughs> I wonder who we're talking about. <laughs> who could that be? Um, a couple, of, I think this person's going to go on to be a director. I think this person's going to be a choreographer, lots of things like that. And then um, someone said, what about Bryn Williams? And verbatim, I remember this clearly because it gutted me said um yeah she's okay in the show now but if she keeps singing like that she's not going to have a voice or a career in five years and it's been 12 <laughs> it's been 12 and you are doing just fine do here but it's just you're one so of those things that i was like wow i it's it's this it's something I didn't know until it's like during that time I also got to work at Wicked. I was at Rock of Ages for a good portion of my time in 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 New York and uh, Next to Normal, Nine to Five. There were all these shows that kind of ran during that time, and I had never seen that side of like theater fans before, mm-hmm. and it it appalled me in many ways. Mm-hmm. It shocked me the ownership people felt over the work you all were doing, Mm -hmm. um, especially you all, because you all were literally teenagers. And for a lot of people that didn't know, you all were going to school in the morning because that preview process, when you all were cutting the show to pieces and you all were learning, that day where you all had like two hours to learn being a geek was, (laughs) I I mean, I will never trade the experience of getting to watch you all dominate that stage through previews because it was so cool and it was the first time I'd seen that kind of process. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, you all worked so much harder than I think anybody gave you all credit for um, because you were going to school during the days and you were doing homework at night while you were doing the show and you all weren't off stage for that much of the show. Not like, at that's, all. that's the thing. You all were, it was a small cast. You all were very active and it, because it, it's a Jason score, it's not an easy score it's to sing. Nuts. And those boys, like, the, the one night that like three of the boys voices all dropped and they couldn't sing all the tenor notes oh yeah and the whole show was like that was just a thing that nobody was prepared for and I think for all of you all being teenagers you handled it so well but it's just the the, the ownership that people felt over that show they feel over the other shows mm-hmm. and they just they lose the joy that it is to watch theater right and they, they want to be involved in the drama and things without it but I was like can't we just let these people do the incredible work they're going to do and then just enjoy this piece of theater instead of feeling like we own it because nobody owns it. And that's the beautiful thing about theater. It's, it happens once and then it'll happen again, but it'll never happen the same, mm-hmm. um, which is that kind of beautiful thing. So, But I'm really glad you, 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 you've used that to propel you and not to hinder you at all because like it's you know it's 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 so daunting to 
have to constantly face people's opinions of you and and things but like you're still going you're chugging and i mean you, you <laughs> even, i don't i don't even think you've hit your stride yet you're still working up so you know i think um i think that's, is there anything that's next for you that you can tell the audience about this will be in december so is there anything you're allowed to say anything any projects you've got coming up no nothing currently i'm doing the actor thing so i'm Great. i'm hitting Great. all of the all of the auditions that i can and just keeping my options open and i'm really just happy to enjoy the holidays the last two years i've been fortunate enough to be employed during the holidays and Mm -hmm. and have steady income coming in and um i've built up a little more of a savings now and so i'm just Mm -hmm. going to enjoy being home and getting all of the family traditions in and visiting people and just living life and then I can I can be stressed out about finding the next project in January yeah. or in February but <laughs> right now I'm just well, enjoying being home yeah, we all know that's when all the projects start casting like December hits a lull mm-hmm. and then everybody starts casting in and you'll be fine everybody's fine <laughs> um if you had a couple words of wisdom for anybody that's just like graduating or coming into the industry trying to go to New York what would you tell them I would tell them you're only as strong as your weakest area. So stay up on everything that you can go to go to all the classes that, you know, money will allow. Um, But at the same time, don't lose what makes you strong. Everybody has a strength. Mm. Stay strong Mm -hmm. on your strength and stay comfortable in uh, stay confident in what your strength is and who you are and don't lose sight of that. You know, you're only, um, and the only person you're in competition with is the person you were yesterday. Just oh, be better than yourself and the right project will that. come to you. That's so good. Well, Bryn, thank you so much. Can you give us your, uh, if the audience wants to find you online, and I'm sure they're going to want to, where can they come find you? Yes, you can find me on Instagram. Uh, My name is at Bryn Will, or on Twitter, which is at Bryn Williams. Super easy. It's just my name. And um, yeah, that's pretty much it. If you type in Bryn Williams on YouTube, I pop up. I'm the black one. So... (laughs) (laughs) Great. Well, thanks so much for being on the show. It's been a ball. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. Hey, dreamers. I hope you enjoyed my interview on our first Christmas special. Now, as you can probably tell, there was way more to our episode than I was able to fit in. So join us next week for a special bonus episode for New Year's Day, where I talk more with Brynn about her career and her time on Broadway. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of the Don't Whip and Dreams podcast. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to our show. Your ratings and reviews help us in the long run as an independently produced show. If you like what we're doing, visit our Patreon, where a pledge of only $2 a month keeps the programming you love coming. And if you want to continue the conversation after today's episode, check out our page on Facebook to engage with other dreamers like yourself. And to see what we're doing in the future, find us on Twitter and Instagram. Join us next time as we're trashing the camp with my guest, Case Aiken, while we discuss the 1999 Phil Collins-fueled jungle adventure, Tarzan. 
Until next time, dreamers, may your days be filled with dull whip and dreams. <laughs>